Ready? Is it working? Yes. Uh, please keep your Bibles open just to make sure that what I'm saying is correct. You can check up on me. And... Let's open in a word of prayer. I'll, uh, I'll pray from Psalm 19. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So what do you look for in a leader? Somebody who is compassionate? Maybe somebody who says, I am the chosen one? Uh, maybe somebody who embodies the best of a people, like individualism or justice or maybe fairness? Do you look for an inspiring speaker? Do you look for somebody who embodies your religious values? Maybe somebody who puts their body on, on the line for their team? Or maybe someone who leads by example? Perhaps somebody who's charismatic, somebody with super intelligence? Or maybe somebody with a, a vision for the future? Do you look for things like these in a leader? This morning, we'll look at the handover of leadership from Moses to Joshua. And we'll look at our Bible passage in four different parts, in four parts. And as we do so, we'll see some of the things that God looks for in a leader of his people. Leaders like maybe pastors or Sunday school teachers or glue leaders, or maybe even the next generation of leaders among you today, among the youth today. We'll think a little bit about what we should look for in such leaders and then we're going to finish with a leader that God, another leader that God has chosen. So that's the outline for today. So uh, the first part of our, uh, of our talk for today, uh, God recounts Moses' disobedience in verses 12 to 14. So our passage opens with God asking Moses to go up a mountain in the region beyond the Jordan River. Now you'll see on this slide here, um, now, this is what we've been doing for the whole book of Numbers, right? So, um, this is Egypt, Exodus from Egypt, Numbers, they've been sort of wandering around here somewhere, 40 years, first generation dies, now up to second generation. Now, today, um, God is asking Moses to go up here, northwestern Moab, and to look across from Mount Nebo, across to this side. Everybody with me? Now, if you actually go there today, this is what you'll see. Uh, you actually see what Moses saw. So he's looking across out into the promised land. Exciting, right? Except this won't be there. Moses didn't see that. Okay. Um, now, the question is, why is God asking Moses to look across into the promised land at this point in the book? Well, what we need to do is uh, have a look a little at some backstory. We need to think about some backstory. Now, this is where we are in the Bible. So we have creation, we have fall, Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, Babel. This is the promise of God to Abraham. This is talking about the exodus from Egypt. The law was given to Moses and Israel at Mount Sinai. And then we have a lot of wandering, wandering, wandering here, numbers. And now we're about to enter the promised land. You guys with me? Everybody know where we're up to in the Bible now? Okay. And then in the chapter before ours, in Numbers chapter 26, what happened? Well, the second generation of God's people were counted. 
The first generation, as I mentioned before, had already died off in the wilderness, and now we're up to the second generation. Now, I want you to have a look at this slide. How many people were left in the second generation? Uh, where is it? Ah, here. Right, can you see this? So, this is the first census. All the Israelites 20 years old or more were able to serve in Israel's army, were counted according to their families. The total number was 403,550. You guys got that? What did I say? <laughs> 603, yes, now I know you're listening. Right, uh, second census. The total number of the men of Israel was 609. Right, this is the first census. This is after all the, the, the first generation died wandering in the wilderness. And this is the recount in the chapter just before ours. How many? Ah, oh, interesting, right? So what does it tell you? It doesn't change very much, right? It's only gone down by, what, 2,000? Something like that. Right, so what does it tell us? Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, God was faithful to Israel. Did you remember God's promises to Abraham? Do you guys remember? The promise to Abraham was made back here. Land, offspring, blessing. Lob, right? Land, offspring, blessing. Um, the second one was offspring. offspring. God's people were still a lot of people, even after the first rebellious generation had died. Now, the second generation was getting ready to enter the promised land. Land, right? That's the first part of our God's promise to Abraham. God was being faithful to his people. Now, the next chapter, the chapter for today, chapter 27 of Numbers, begins with the account of Zelophehad's daughters. And you're thinking, ah, oh, well, that's a bit boring, isn't it? Well, um, now, you can just imagine, these are very strong women, and you can imagine what the feminist scholars would do with this, with this passage. They would go crazy, right? And they do. A gender perspective on the daughters of Zelophehad, Bible, Talmudic Midrash, and modern feminist Midrash, uh, land inheritance as justice for women. Uh, it's important for women's plight in post-colonial southeastern Nigeria. Wow, that sounds exciting. Unfortunately, we don't have time to look at those today. Um, but what we see here is that uh, Zelophehad's daughters were faithful to their father, yes, because they wanted land for, for him when they entered the promised land, but it also shows their trust in God, the fact that they're trusting that God is going to bring them into the land to give them an inheritance uh, for their father. Anyway, so that is all the backstory, chapter, chapters 1 all the way to chapter 26, the beginning of chapter 27, Zelophehad's daughters, and now we come to our passage for today. The new generation is getting ready to finally enter the promised land. Except there is one problem. God says to, uh, to Moses, okay, everyone read together with me after three. One, two, three. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. What do you think about this? It's pretty sad, isn't it? Sad. Moses had led God's people for decades and decades, isn't it? They complained about God, but he kept his trust in God. But then he struck the rock, didn't he? He struck the rock. Uh, he disobeyed God, and now him not entering the promised land is God's judgment. Just like his older brother Aaron before him. Now, 
What might this tell us about leadership? What does this tell us about leadership? Three things. One, those who are called to lead God's people must main, maintain the highest standards. That's the first thing. Second thing that we learn about leadership, holiness and obedience is a must for God's leaders. Third thing, no leader, no matter how powerful, is beyond God's judgment. So those three things. Let's move on to the next part of our passage, verses 15 to 17. Now, how does Moses respond to being told that he cannot enter the promised land? How does he respond? Let's have a look at the next slide. Let's read together. One, two, three. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over his community to go out and come in before them. One will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So, Moses asked God for another leader to replace him. Wow, what do you think about this? How would you respond if your lifelong dream is taken away from you? So you study for years to become, finally become a surgeon. And then you're struck off the register because of one indiscretion. You work very hard in the corporate world to become the senior manager. And then what happens? You're fired because of one dodgy transaction. You pass the church after church after church until you become the senior minister. And then one public sin leaves you an Uber driver, as an Uber driver. How would you respond? Would you get angry? Would you complain? Would you try to appeal the decision? Well, not Moses. He's not concerned for himself. He's concerned about his people, and he says, Please, Lord, give them a leader to shepherd your people. He asks for another leader just like himself. He doesn't want to see them wandering around in the wilderness for another 40 years. Now, last month, my family and I watched a movie. Uh, it was this one, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, in this movie, Tony Stark has died. I don't know what happened to him. I haven't seen uh, the last Avengers movie. For some reason, he's died. Um, and so he's chosen Peter Parker to succeed him as the new leader. As we can see him, uh, as we can see symbolized in these Edith glasses. So uh, Tony Stark has passed on leadership to, to Peter Parker. But unlike Tony Stark, Moses doesn't get to choose his successor. Moses was chosen by God, and now he asks God to choose the next leader. Not elected by the people, he wants God to choose somebody that he approves of. He points out something about God that is a basis for his request. Now, did you notice? Moses says, the God who gives breath to all living things. Now, you might remember this phrase from Numbers 16 and the rebellion back in Numbers 16. Back then, it was a basis for God, for urging God not to wipe out the whole community, the God uh, who gives breath to all living things. So now Moses says to God, you are the one who gives breath to all. Don't abandon them. And Moses is also asking for someone who is empowered and guided by God himself. So here we catch a glimpse of Moses, the leader. He's humble. He submits to God's will, as painful as I'm sure it must have been. 
Moses is not concerned for himself, but for the people that he served. And going out and coming in describes a flock. A flock needs a shepherd to lead them to find water. A flock needs a shepherd to lead it out to find grass. It needs a shepherd to also bring it back home, back in. Now this is what Moses has been doing for his people. Leading the people in and out or out and in also describes the picture of an army general, an army general. He leads the troops out to battle and then he brings them back in after victory. And in the future, what we'll find is that Joshua will be both a military as well as a political leader. But what do you think about the description of leadership here? It doesn't sound very glamorous, does it? No mention of prestige or or status. There's no mention of power or wealth. Here leadership is just described as serving by providing and protecting. And so we recall the Apostle Peter's teaching. Now if you're a leader or if you're an emerging leader, see if this describes you. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, 1 Peter chapter 5. Does that describe you? So to the third part, verses 18 to 21. Who is going to fill Moses' huge sandals? Surely not many people would be up to it. But God makes his choice in verse 18. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Of the first generation, only Joshua and Caleb were left to choose from. But you may be thinking, who is Joshua? Well, all the way back in Exodus 17, Joshua led the Israelite forces when they were attacked by Amalek. And like Moses, Joshua trusted God's word and so gave a good word about entering the promised land in Numbers 14. And Joshua had also been Moses' assistant. Now, did you notice how Joshua is described? How is he described? A man in whom is a spirit of leadership. Now, in the original, in the Hebrew, it just says, is the spirit. So in the NIV, it's like a little interpretation, the spirit of leadership. Now, the word uh, spirit and breath is the same in the original language. So what's happening in this passage? The God who gives breath to all flesh, in verse 16, gives Joshua the spirit of leadership, in verse 18. Deuteronomy describes Joshua as filled with a spirit of wisdom. In other words, God calls Joshua to lead and God enables Joshua to lead by giving him the spirit. But maybe there's even more to the spirit of leadership. Might it also include having guts, G-U-T-S, guts? Remember what David the shepherd boy said before he fought Goliath. What did he say? I protect my father's sheep. I fight off and kill the lions and bears. God delivered me from ferocious animals and he will deliver me from this 
uncircumcised Philistine Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. So, a leader needs guts. A leader needs trust in God. Joshua is that man. And his leadership would echo that of Moses, as we see in verse 21. At his, that is Joshua's command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. Joshua's leadership will be similar to Moses's. Joshua was also faithful, he was called, and he was enabled. He also leads God's people like a shepherd. But yet, they are not equals. In what ways are Moses and Joshua different? How are they different? Now, if you have your Bibles, let's have a look at verses 18 to 21 again. I want you to have a look at those verses and then uh, turn to the person next to you and, and tell them one thing that is different between Moses and Joshua. 20 seconds, okay? 20 seconds. Okay, everybody said something to the person next to you? Everybody come up with at least one thing? You guys come up with at least one thing? Yeah? Okay, so uh, what I'll do is I'll go through these verses now, 18 to 21, and um, you see if I've mentioned what you, what you came up with. And if, if, I mention, if I don't mention something you mentioned, then you come and tell me afterwards, okay? Right. So in verse 19, God asked Moses to present Joshua before Eliezer the priest and before the people. Remember in Numbers 20 that Eliezer himself took over from Aaron when Aaron died. So Moses is to commission Joshua before the eyes of the priest and before the eyes of the people. The commission is done in public and everybody gets to witness it. Now one thing he is to do is to lay his hand on him. Why? What does this laying on of hand symbolize? Well, laying on of hands symbolizes the transfer of blessing. Like, do you remember when Joshua laid his hands on his grandchildren and blessed them in Genesis 48? You guys remember? Now, laying of hands also symbolizes a transfer of authority because the hand symbolizes power. And laying on of hands also can, can symbolize identification. When Moses laid his hands on Joshua, this is what he's saying. I identify with this man... He is my man. He takes my place. He has the same authority that I had. This makes sure that the transition from Moses to Joshua will be a smooth one. They will obey Joshua just as they obeyed Moses. Now, what do we do today? We still lay hands on people, don't we, at certain points? Now, I believe when Ch Pastor Chad was installed, people lay hands on him. Is that correct? 
That's right. Uh, now, when I was teaching a seminary in Malaysia, we would lay hands on the graduates. So it looks something like this. So that's in STM Chapel. Now, what did this symbolize? It symbolized the transfer of authority to go out and serve God. It also symbolized us passing on our blessing since these graduates were now trained and equipped and ready to go out. Now, when Kat and I left as missionaries of CP, we were also commissioned. This is, our, I think, our second commissioning. Again, what happened? People laid their hands on us. It symbolized their blessing and also their support. It also symbolizes the church's identification with us. We went out as representatives of CP and we are partners in ministry with all of you. So Moses laying hands on Joshua to symbolize the transfer of leadership from one leader to the next. But as you guys would have noticed, there are also differences. As it says in verse 20, Joshua will have some of Moses' authority, not all of his authority. He won't be a leader of the same caliber as Moses. One way we see this played out is in how Joshua is going to relate to God. Uh, God spoke to Moses face to face, didn't he? Face to face, directly. There was no middleman involved. But Joshua will share some of his authority with Eliezer. The priest will consult God on his behalf. And in your passage, it mentions something strange called the Urim, U-R-I-M. The Urim and Thummim were stones that were used to seek God's guidance. Joshua and Eliezer will lead God's people, just like Moses and Aaron before them. And perhaps Joshua will, will might even be under the priest. What do you guys think? So Eliezer, God, Eliezer, maybe Joshua might be underneath in this structure. After all, Joshua will lead the people in and out, out and in, but he will depend on Eliezer for guidance, for God's guidance, about when to do so. In any case, Joshua is dependent on God for his leadership. Right, so what were the two differences? Did you guys notice the two differences in leadership? Joshua's leadership will not be as great as Moses's. One, Joshua only receives some of Moses' blessing. And two, Joshua depends on Eliezer the priest for guidance, not directly from God like Moses. And after Moses dies, God tells Joshua that his leadership will be guided by the law of Moses, as we see in the next slide. Be strong and very courageous, that is, be gutsy. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you, Joshua 1, verse 7. So, to the fourth part. The narrative began with God recounting Moses' disobedience. Now Moses obeys exactly as God instructed him. He, lays, uh, he commissions Joshua to take over as leader, but he lays both his hands on Joshua. Does he obey exactly? Well, in verse 23, both hands. Verse 18, lay one hand. Well, perhaps this shows that Moses is very keen to give his blessing and his authority to Joshua. Well, hopes are high for Joshua as a new leader. And you might be wondering, how does Joshua go as the leader? Does he end up being a good leader? Does he live up to our expectations? Let's find out.
Well, yes, he does turn out to be a good leader. He leads the Israelites finally into the promised land. Finally, after decades of wandering in the wilderness, the people get to rest in their inheritance of land. Now listen to this glowing reference for Joshua. Let's read together. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Wow, what do you think? Can't get much better than that, huh? The people recognized Joshua's authority. The people served God. Hmm, let's see what's going on here. Hmm. But... It sounds good, but only during the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. Joshua doesn't anoint a successor. He doesn't anoint another leader. And in Judges, the next book after Joshua, the people of God spiral out of control. They start to serve idols instead of serving God. Joshua is an effective leader for one lifetime only. But not to fear. God is faithful. He would raise up an even greater leader, also described as a shepherd. David, the shepherd boy we mentioned before, will be anointed to shepherd the whole of Israel. King David unites, unites Israel. King David brings in a time of rest and peace. But he also fails. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. Well, what are we going to do? Are all leaders in the Bible going to fail? Moses, Joshua, David? Perhaps we're looking for a leader in all the wrong places. But don't fear, God is faithful. In time, he would raise up another Joshua, another one whose name means Yahweh saves. He will not fail. He will not let us down. He is the perfect leader. He is commissioned by God himself. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him, Luke 9. His teaching is even greater than Moses's. So we listen to and obey him. He is the good shepherd. He provides, he protects his sheep. Jesus is the role model for all leaders. And he doesn't need a priest for God's guidance. He is God as a man. And in him is the spirit, spirit of leadership, spirit of wisdom. He's gutsy. He even gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can follow him. But Jesus is much more than just a leadership role model, isn't he? He's much more than just a leader for us to copy. For King David's greatest son lays down his life for the sheep, John 10. And through his death, he has led the way into the promised land. The world tells us to look for all sorts of qualities in a leader. Some of these are good. Some of these are helpful and we might trust in leaders such as these but sooner or later they will all fail 
not to fear. God is faithful. He has laid his hands on the perfect leader. God has commissioned him in the eyes of the whole world. If we listen to him, he will lead us into our promised land. If we obey him, we will receive our inheritance of a new heavens and a new earth. If we trust in him, we will one day see God face to face. I will follow Jesus as my leader. Will you?